Well, go ahead and uh, pull out your blue books, and uh, we'll get started this morning. We're in the middle of a series called The Scarlet Thread, and in this series we've been looking at some of the passages of Scripture that point ahead to the cross and kind of answer some of the questions about why did Jesus have to die. And for those of you who haven't been here for the rest of this series, uh, let me explain the blue book a little bit. It's just uh, that this series is going to be a little bit deeper stuff, and so it's kind of a way to say that and to give you a little more room for um, your note-taking. This series is kind of like a seminary class slash uh, sermon wrapped in one. So let's get started and have Forrest put a, scripture, a couple of scriptures on the screen for us. The first one is our memory verse this week, so let's read it together. 1 John 4.10, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 1 John 4.10, so not that we loved God. Uh, God initiated this, and uh, he, he loved us first. He sent his son as an atoning sacrifice. Then the second uh, scripture, also from 1 John, says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. That comes from 1 John 2, 1. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. What does, what does that mean? What does it mean to have Jesus atone for all the times that we got it wrong, missed the mark, um, have fallen short of God's standard? Uh, these scriptures bring up the topic for today and also give you something right at the beginning here to write in your uh, blue book there, the theme for today, or the topic, is atonement. Uh, atonement. Now, atonement's kind of a strange word. It's not something we throw out into a sentence uh, very often. But Scripture says that Jesus did this for us. Uh, he offered his blood as an atoning sacrifice. So it seems like we ought to uh, try to understand what that means. So I looked up the definition for atonement, and... Uh, hopefully to shed some light on that, but this is what we come up with. Atonement is the, that's spelled wrong, got an extra R in there, the the reparation. It's the reparation for a wrong or injury, all right? Okay, so what does reparation mean, right? Or reparation. Um, If you look up the definition for reparation, uh, it gets a little clearer here. Reparation is the making of amends for wrong or injury done. It's restoration to a good condition. It's the act of repairing something. So in atonement, something is made right that has gotten broken. It's to restore something to its original condition to pay for or to make right something that's been destroyed or damaged. Uh, there's the dictionary definition. I think that one thing that's kind of help, more helpful, though, is the definition of Christian atonement. I think it's just a little easier to remember, and that is atonement is at one Atonement is the way in which God makes us one with him again. 
Now, these definitions immediately bring to mind uh, our worldview questions, don't they? We've been talking about our worldview over the last several weeks. And at the very basic level, our worldview answers three questions. The first is, how did we get here? How did the world and everything come into being? The second question is, what's gone wrong? Why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? And the third question is, how does it get fixed? How does the world and everything that's gone wrong get fixed? And atonement appears to be a very important concept then in answering that last question. How does the world, how does everything, how do we get fixed? Now, over the last several weeks, we've talked about uh, what's broken in our world, what uh, was damaged that needs fixing uh, in the story of God and humankind. And we went all the way back to the fall. And we discovered that because of the fall, these things have happened. Our relationship with the Holy God was broken. Um, Then the second thing... (laughs) Our human nature... Huh? Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's true. I'm forgetting. They're not just filling in the blanks right now. But we have covered this before. Uh, our human nature now has a bent towards sinning because of, because of sin, the way that we relate with people, care for each other and for our world has been damaged. And then the third is the image of God in humankind was lost. We were created in the image of God. We were supposed to be image bearers to bear his character and uh, his qualities, but that was lost at the fall. And then the fourth thing is that death entered the picture. That's a lot of brokenness to to repair. And it's brokenness that we've all experienced in our life. Maybe that you have something in your past that you regret. Something that, you know, uh, you wish you had a do-over on that. Or maybe someone has hurt you and their brokenness or their sin has hurt hurt you in some way. And we've all lost loved ones and know the sting of death. So we have all this damage that needs to be repaired. And the scriptures say that Jesus makes atonement, that he came to repair all the brokenness. But it gets a little more complicated than that because while we know that Jesus made atonement, it says that in the scriptures, people begin to ask, how? What was it about Jesus' life or his death or uh, his resurrection that atoned or repaired the brokenness? And so over the years, scholars have come up with a number of theories on this. Uh, It's clear that in the scripture that Jesus has made atonement, but what was it that was atoning about his life? Um, So I'm going to give you just a few examples of some of the theories that are out there. This is the seminary part of the message today. The first is the moral influence theory of atonement. And in this theory, um, Jesus didn't have to die to make atonement. The emphasis of this is on Jesus' teaching. Uh, He was a good moral teacher who taught us how to live rightly. And if people would just get their act together and live as Jesus lived, uh, then everything would get fixed in the world. Jesus made atonement by providing us an example of how to live rightly. Okay? 
And then there's the ransom theory of atonement. And we talked about Jesus as our redeemer a couple of uh, weeks ago. And in this theory, uh, Jesus' death on the cross, and we heard the, uh, the song you were singing this morning, talked about redemption. And Jesus redeemed us. He was, uh, his death on the cross is seen as the payment or the ransom for, uh, our, to set us free from bondage to sin and death. And then the substitutionary theory of atonement In this theory, Jesus uh, made atonement. He set things right by taking our punishment, by going to the cross in our place. He he was our substitute. Those are just a, a few of the theories. But as you look at these, you'll find that no one theory describes all that Jesus did in his life, death, and resurrection to set things right and to fix what has gone wrong. Uh, We need all of these pieces, don't we? Jesus was a good moral teacher. He, he gave us a wonderful example in his life on how to live. But it says that his blood was an atoning sacrifice. Jesus um, was the one who redeemed us. But he also took our place on the cross. So you need all the pieces to get the whole picture of what Jesus has done for us. Now, we talk about theories uh, because we only know in part. But God explained deep truths like this um, with pictures. And we're going to look at one of those pictures this morning. Uh, And this is an image that you find in the Old Testament. It actually uses the language of atonement. And it gives us a picture, another picture, of what Jesus' death on the cross means for us and what he was accomplishing there. It comes from the Old Testament. It's part of the Old Covenant. There was a special day that was set apart for the atoning of sins. And it was called the Day of Atonement. And the instructions for it were found in chapter 16 of Leviticus. The Day of Atonement was a day, one day a year, that was set apart for the Israelites to take care of, to set right and make amends for sin. And on that day, two goats would be brought forward, and the priest would cast lots. And one of the goats would be chosen as an atoning sacrifice. So, That goat would be slaughtered, and then the blood from that goat would be taken into the Holy of Holies and sprinkled on the altar in there and on all the uh, uh, furniture and stuff in the tabernacle to cleanse the tabernacle and make it holy. The blood of the first goat was for the cleansing and the covering of sin. So that was the first goat. But both goats represent... Uh, or, and both goats represent our point, point towards what Jesus was doing. And if you have some time this week, I would encourage you to read Hebrews 9 because it kind of gives you a picture of or parallels how Jesus uh, and this first goat, uh, what Jesus was accomplishing that this uh, first goat gives us a picture of. But there are two goats, and we're going to look uh, more at the parallels of the, between Jesus and the second goat today. And um, this goat is written about in Leviticus 16, 20 through 22. So if you look, with that, look at that with me. It says, When Aaron had finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, 
all of their sins and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it in the wilderness. Okay, so kind of an odd picture. Um, Does anyone know what the old King James uh, Bible called that goat? It was the uh, scapegoat. And the Hebrew word for it, if you want to write it down, is azazel, meaning the goat of departure. And so all of their guilt, all of their shame, every tiny sin, every hidden thing uh, was to be loaded on that goat's head. And in the text, it says that they would appoint a man who would then take this goat out into the wilderness. And tradition says that they would get a Gentile to do this because none of the Israelites wanted to go anywhere near that goat. So the Gentile would drive the goat out into the wilderness where it was presumed that it would die. Um, Later on, we read in the Jewish literature that over time, um, they actually would take the goat out and push it off a cliff because nobody wanted that wandering back into camp, right? <laughs> it's got all the sins of the Israelites on it, so you just don't you know, want it to find its way home, right? So the understanding, though, was that this goat left, and it left with the sins. And the two goats help us to understand atonement. Jesus' blood cleanses and covers our sin. That's the first goat. But the second goat gives us a a fuller picture. There's also someone who bears away our sin, who carries away our sin. It's one thing to have your sin covered. It's another thing to have your sin removed as far as the east is from the west. And so even as far back as thousands of years before Christ, God wanted people to know that he had a plan for taking away sins. And he gave us this picture foretelling what he would do in Christ in a more perfect way. So the idea was on the Day of Atonement, everyone in Israel could say for that day, you know, I am perfectly cleansed from all my sin. I get a clean slate. I'm a forgiven person. My guilt, my shame, everything is gone. It's been carried away. It's been dealt with. Uh, That was a good day. That was a day of celebration. Um, Now, the fascinating thing that is in Jewish tradition, um, there developed this other um, tradition or whatever that isn't found in Scripture, but you see it in Jewish literature and in the Jewish commentaries, that it says that um, at one point they started to take a red cord, and when they would cast a lot for the goat, they would wrap this red cord around the head of the scapegoat so that they could kind of uh, keep track of which one the lot fell on for the scapegoat and which one was to be the goat that was sacrificed. And that red cord represented the sins of the people that were being carried away um, into the wilderness. And it was another picture, another image of explaining what was being done. And what's interesting then is when we come to the New Testament and Jesus' life and his death, we read in the book of John chapter 9, this takes place at Jesus' trial and crucifixion. It says, Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. 
They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and they slapped him in the face. Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. Now, a crown of thorns around your head would produce a ring on top of your head, and what color would it be? Red. Now, notice what happens in verse 14. Pilate proclaims to the crowd, Here is your king, and they shout, Take him away, take him away, crucify him. Does that sound like something that God was picturing years prior to Jesus' crucifixion? Jesus is our atoning sacrifice sent away for our sins. And the scarlet thread that's woven through all of Jesus' life leads to this solitary place, the cross. We read in Romans 3.25, that God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood, to be received by faith. And you know, there are similarities between the scapegoat and the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament and Jesus taking away our sins in the New Testament. But there are also differences. When a goat became the, scape, the scapegoat in the Old Testament, it was by lot. They, they, it was, you know, through the dice and, and it was chosen in that way. But Jesus chose to carry our sins to the cross. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing, and he chose to do it. And he did it because he loves you so much. He did it because he loves his church so much. He did it because he loves fallen humankind so much. And he knew exactly what he was doing, and he chose it so that we could, by faith, have new life in him. And we, you know... I've been looking at numerous themes and scriptures trying to answer this question, why did Jesus have to die? And it's evident that Jesus died to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Uh, No one has enough money in the bank to make reparation for their sins. For all the times that we've missed the mark, uh, it's it's just not enough to say, oops, my bad, to God, (laughs) who is a holy, righteous God. Jesus died for our sins to remove as far as the east is from the west everything that we've ever done wrong. Jesus did that so that we could be forgiven. But that's not the end of it. Jesus carried away our sins, and because he has carried away our sins, because we're forgiven, he calls us to forgive one another as he has forgiven us. We read this in Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, in Christ God forgave you. As we move towards Holy Week and remembering once again the cost of the cross, what it cost Jesus to take away our sins, I encourage you to think about those that you need to forgive, to take steps to restore the broken relationships in your life. And if you haven't yet received the forgiveness and the life that Jesus came to give you, it's available to you today. All you have to do is ask. And you can begin to live new life in Christ that's full of meaning and purpose. This can be your day of at one 
Would you pray with me? Our Lord, uh, we thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross for us. We thank you for um, being willing to pay the price for making that sacrifice, for suffering in the way that you did for us, that we could be one with God again, one with you, and one with each other. And Lord, we ask for the courage to make right with others um, those broken relationships to be restored to one another. And if there's anyone here that hasn't received you, haven't, hasn't received the life that you came to give them, I, I pray this morning and I invite you to pray with me uh, to receive Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, I, I thank you for dying for me. I ask that you forgive my sins and cleanse me that you would make me whole in Jesus Christ, that I can live for you. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.